Hello, this is Rob Woods and welcome to episode three of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. So I've been working in fundraising for nearly two decades now and a lot of that time I've been asking myself this question. How do you raise more money for your charity? Or in other words, what do the most successful fundraisers do differently and better than other people and what can any of us learn from them? And over the years, very often the most exciting answers I've got to this question have come through interviews with fundraisers who really are getting consistently great results by doing certain things slightly differently to what most people do. Now in the early days, I would do these interviews and I would scribble furiously in my notebook and then I'd use those ideas in both my own fundraising and then increasingly to create the courses I taught other fundraisers. So to me, the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast that you're listening to now is the logical extension of what I've been doing for years and years and years. And in many ways, it's better this way because you'll be hearing those examples and powerful strategies directly from the person who's applying them. So in each episode of this podcast, we're going to share with you an interview or a presentation or a collection of examples with two key purposes in mind. Firstly, we're aiming to give you access to effective strategies that help you raise more money. But also, just as importantly, we're going to share things we hope will help you feel differently about some everyday aspect of fundraising. So you feel it's worth working that little bit harder in certain areas because you've got more confidence that it'll be worth the effort. And today I'm really excited about this episode because it's with an amazing fundraiser. Her name's Jo Baker, and she's the chief executive of a wonderful charity called Child Rescue Nepal. I was really keen to talk to Jo because not only is her charity doing really well and their income is consistently growing, so they're able to rescue more children from slavery, but also because they're a really small charity and they don't have large budgets and resources to call on. I think there's two members of staff in the UK. But in spite of that size, and maybe even partly because of it, they've developed a really fantastic approach to working with supporters. One recent success was a Radio 4 appeal they did, which was one of the most successful Radio 4 appeals of the entire year. So in this conversation, I first wanted to find out why Joe thinks their appeal topped the Radio 4 appeal charts for so long. And secondly, to talk me through their approach to supporters and to fundraising in general. So whether your charity is large or medium-sized or small, I hope you find this interview as interesting and as helpful as I did. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by Bright Spot Mastery Programmes. So if you need to increase income in corporate partnerships or major donor and trust fundraising, these programmes will help. As well as the advanced strategies you learn on the training days, you receive one-to-one coaching to help you put those powerful techniques into practice. To find out more about the Corporate Mastery and Major Gifts Mastery programmes, head over to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Joe Baker, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, Rob. Hi. Um, thank you so much for making time for this. I know you're busier than ever at the moment. Uh, you are Chief Executive of Child Rescue Nepal. Um, thank you for joining the podcast. Just before we jump into a couple of questions to do with your approach to fundraising, uh, could you just give us a snapshot of, of what the charity does? Yep. So Child Rescue Nepal physically rescues children from slavery in Nepal. We've rescued over 800 children so far, but the work's far from over. Um, we're pretty small in the UK. 
So just myself, the chief executive and our uh, office manager. Um, and in Nepal, we've got 26 staff. Okay. And I understood that you you joined the charity about three years ago? That's correct. Just coming up three years. Um, it's been a real steep learning curve, but I'm absolutely loving it now. Yeah. And so there's a couple of reasons why I was so keen to, to talk to you and, and why I think some of your insights are going to help the listener everyone frankly but especially fundraisers in smaller organizations i had already heard about the amazing results you've been getting obviously in terms of growing the number of children you're able to rescue in particular because of how steadily you're managing to grow the organization and top line as i understood it it's been growing each year but just in this last year income was around 338 or so and and it looks like it's a a further 90,000 up on that at something like 420 or 430,000 income this year Uh, and I may have got those details a tiny bit wrong but basically that sounds like the, the trajectory of growth and I also understood that several things in terms of your approach especially to the supporter and the donor is a, a bit different to what I, I notice in many small organisations that are every bit as resource strapped as you are. So that's a reason I was really keen to, to chat to you because it's clearly working. Before we get into your general approach, I just wanted to dive into something very specific, which was your approach to the Radio 4 appeal. What was your recipe? What was your approach to making that opportunity work so well? So uh, I joined the organisation and I found out very quickly that we've been successful at this Radio 4 appeal. And as a small charity, this is an absolutely fantastic opportunity. It's something that you can grab with both hands. And I wanted to use this as a focus and make sure that the whole organisation could benefit from this opportunity. So I pitched uh, an investment package to the trustees, which is what you can sometimes do when you're new and feeling a a bit emboldened. I pitched a £10,000 package to the trustees, which involved support from Richard Turner. Um, It involved myself and a trustee going on uh, Alan Clayton's great fundraising masterclass. And the idea behind that was to really focus on our big ambition, make sure that the charity was streamlined, um, all our ducks in a row, and that we would make the most of this opportunity. So as we were getting that professional kind of support and input, we would also be aligning our messages and our branding and so that we were completely ready. And I boldly said to the trustees that if we put in this £10,000, not only will we get ourselves kind of up and running and focused as a charity, I would think we will make back that money and some. Yeah. Um, what we did. You know, we pretty much tripled what we'd done before. Um, and so it was a well worth investment. And I think it is, it's a really good idea to ask for help at certain points um, strategically when you really need it. Yeah, well, many congratulations because that takes not only careful thought but actually courage to, to actually take that risk. But there's um, Adam Human, who, who um, I also talked to in this podcast series, who's really proved successful at getting people to invest. The, the key element I notice in his mindset is always that willingness to, to be brave, take a deep breath and actually really go for something and taking on the risk that's involved in, in, in the leader saying that to their, their, their trustees. So congratulations for, for doing that boldly. I want to move on, if I may, to the two or three of the bits of the recipe for how you created that script and created something which when people listen to it, 
was so successful, what would you say were a couple of the things you made sure you did and did really well? So one of the pitfalls that I wanted to avoid and to be told about um, was not to try and tell people everything that you do. There just isn't time. You have to get right to a story that will grab people. You have to start with the beneficiary whose story you're telling and bring that listener to that story as quickly and powerfully as possible. And to do that, you need to focus on the details, focus on the description. So an example that was given to us when I went to the Radio 4 workshop that they put on was a lady that was so poor that she was eating the bark from trees. And that phrase has stuck with me. And I think when I came to write the script, I tried to put cells in that would um, connect with people wherever they were listening to the story, to the appeal. And so uh, we were focusing the appeal on a boy who'd been trafficked from a rural area after the earthquake, ended up working in a metal factory and he was sleeping on the floor. So I went back to the team and said, you know, can we get some more details? What is he sleeping on the floor? Is it, was it really sleeping on the floor? Was it on a mattress on the floor? Was it concrete? And it turned out that it was, it was really literally sleeping on a concrete floor with just some sacks. And so, you know, we came up with the phrase just, um, you know, covered with shreds of sacks. And another thing that happened in the factory was that the boys were working with acid. They were polishing brass statues for tourists and sometimes the acid would spill on them. And so we came up with the phrase, you know, when the acid spilt, it seared through their clothes and into their skin, not even onto, into, and just 100% accurate, but actually just digging down into that detail, you know, made it, made it powerful for the listener. Yes. Excellent. It really chimes with what I've learned about story and what I teach on my storytelling workshops is zooming in on those very real details especially if they involve the senses to help someone connect to what's going on that's beyond the obvious and then they have have some sense of what really is at stake and, and clearly it worked really really well when we spoke before it, it wasn't just about this script where you worked hard it was also about seeing this as an opportunity overall and you worked hard to maximise the opportunity with your existing supporters rather than just leaving it to Radio 4 to go and speak to their listeners? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I, I think it, it would be easy to think that Radio 4 has a big listenership and that, that that will do its work. But actually, every donation is important and you need to get your own supporters, first of all, on board with this, this being their opportunity. And um, we sent postcards to all our supporters. We sent some extra ones so they could give it to their friends. And we made sure that there was a real ownership within the organisation, that this was our appeal and that our donors were, were going to be very responsible in success in terms of sharing it with their friends and with their family. We made it easy for people to kind of afford it and promote it. And I, and I do think that really worked. Yeah. And I guess that's the sort of thing that we would plan to do that. But when we're busy, it would be all too easy to presume that the power of Radio 4 and those millions of listeners would be the bulk of it. And then any effort we make would be drops in the ocean compared to the power of that giant. And my instinct is you working so hard and going the extra mile with all of that communication actually went a long way to, to why you really made the most of it and that shows up in the results. I think so. And I think, you know, we were a small charity and this was an amazing opportunity for us. So I took all the advice that was available. If somebody said you should do this, I did it. And, and you know, we put a lot of effort into it and we focused on how we were going to look after supporters afterwards, how we were going to thank them. 
So uh, one thing that I did when we were recording the appeal, which was with Joanna Lumley, I asked her to do a lovely kind of handwritten thank you to the donors, which then we could reproduce and send out with the thank you. So there was a dear lovely ones, fabulous thank you that you could do this. Joanna, kiss, kiss, kiss. And so we had already thought before we'd even recorded the appeal how we were going to make that thank you. That's, that's really smart. And and again, uh, gonna, depending on how good one's relationship is with that figurehead or that celebrity, thinking from the start, how can we possibly maximise the value of their influence and their status or authority power to... You know, bring value to our supporters and bring them extra joy and connection. Thinking of that right from the start and making the right asks for the right kinds yeah. of help from them rather I, than getting their voice. I think that, that, that was really smart in terms of your attitude to building relationships with your supporters enhanced by this opportunity with Joanna. Yeah, and I think um, if you have a relationship with, with any kind of celebrity, you want to make it as easy as possible for them to help you as kind of a short amount of time and um, easy for them. So I had worked with Joanna Lumley in a previous fundraising event and we made an auction prize, which was Joanna Lumley recording your uh, voice message for you so hi darlings you've reached so and so so and so please leave a message which was perfect <laughs> took her one minute to do on the night but it raised hundred pounds and we managed to multiply it up so if four people put their hand up for 600 pounds we could make it four times oh that's brilliant i, I love that idea <laughs> I yeah, think... you'll, you'll love even more who who um, bid on it yeah Judy Dench. <laughs> Brilliant. So Judy Dance the phone is actually Joanna Lumley. I love that. Um, so I'd love to stay more and drill more detail on the Radio 4 appeal, but, but you're doing lots of other things really well as well. And, and I'd, I'd like to, to shift focus, if I may. My observation is you work harder than almost every other charity I know at engaging your existing supporters. As a small charity, you don't have you know, hundreds of thousands of supporters, but those you have, you, you work so hard to find them and especially to keep them warm. And so many of your other growth stories you told me came about as a result of one of your existing supporters getting someone else involved. And so I wanted to unpick a bit of your mindset on that, your approach to that. How is it you managed to make time to go the extra mile in thanking people so well and, and building relationships with the existing supporters? I think you mentioned that one of the books that really helped you was uh, a book by Grant Leboff. Do you want to tell me the, the gist of what you got from Grant Leboff's book and, and then how that's affected your approach? Yeah, so the book is called Sticky Marketing and the idea is that everybody is a channel that, um, not a, you know, it's no longer a kind of one-way conversation that actually people engage with you and they're telling their friends is the way that we're going to grow because as a small charity, we just do not have money um, to invest into any cold acquisition. So we have to work with not only every supporter that we already have, but even every inquiry, our approach is to treat everybody as, as, in, you know, as well as we can at that point, to thank them immediately, um, to follow up um, on inquiries. So for example, um, you know, I think in bigger charities, if you email in, you're going to get into kind of supporter services and you're going to receive something out. So we had uh, a guy who Googled us and said, you know, I'm thinking of uh, going off Everest, looking for a charity to support, uh, wondering if you had any time. So because we're small, I was like, yeah, sure, let's meet on Thursday. 
And so we met up in a cafe and it turned out that he was self-funding himself to go up Everest and he wanted to do some fundraising and he ended up raising £45,000 for us which funded three schools to be built. And I think that kind of approach that any inbound lead and, uh, you know, could lead to something really exciting has, has resulted in some really good results for us. And, and in terms of thanking, I, I think that a well-thanked donor is going to be where your next donation comes from. I can't really think of anything more important. And you say kind of how you find time for it. Well, this is the first thing that we do because these are our donors. Um, and so we... We try and thank immediately. We try and thank spontaneously, authentically, creatively. So sometimes it will be a phone call. We have invested in some nice cards with red envelopes. We make a note of which card we've sent them so that we don't send them the same one next time. Um, we've just got a little sticker with a heart on it that goes on the back. And so it's a nice thing when it arrives. And I always just pick up a pen and just write straight from the heart. I don't have any set... Uh, words that I use I, if I've just come back from Nepal or I've just heard something then then that's what I'll write and we've recently realized that with modern technology and with phones it's very very easy for me to contact my counterpart in Nepal and say uh, you know this has just happened could you record a quick video so over this last week just after the marathon um, the children in our care home all did a thank you to our four marathon runners and named them all. And so we were able to just immediately email that out. So it doesn't cost anything, but it's just super personal. And that's how we try and approach things. Wow. So a bunch of little details there that I, I could pick up on, I, even down to the proactively, not just having the card printed, but the thought that it should have a warm colour for the envelope and a sticker which costs almost nothing but is creating this extra connection and feeling the moment someone ever ever hears from you. Uh, and that, I sense, is true whether they're hearing as a, a lovely thank you card or they're getting that even higher touch thing of, of a personalised film. I sense any of these people interacting with you, they're just getting this, this connection. A, it's prompt, and B, it's creative, and C, it's consistent. And I can totally see where your growth is coming from because those people are... are <laughs> they're going to want to keep coming back and they're going to want to be sharing those things with their friends. And, and presumably also in this day and age, the fact that you work this way is even more to your advantage because some of those things are then getting shared on social media, which is then further enhancing the chance that someone else will help. Um, again, resources are tight, but do you manage to be in, involved and proactive in connecting with supporters on, on social media? And, and if you do manage to do that, do you have any tips for the listener on on how to how to find the, the time in the day to do that or, or tactically ways of, of, of managing to send those tweets proactively or, or, or do things on Instagram in a way that I know many people have good intentions, but it doesn't quite get done. One of the good things is to employ somebody who's a little bit young. I mean, that's a, that's a really a good start because I, I couldn't even do an Instagram story if I tried. So um, she's great at that. Um, I mean, I, I think this is our kind of only cold acquisition strategy at the moment in one sense is actually what we do on social media and seeing those likes and shares increase. Um, and social media is amazing because you get so much immediate feedback. You can straight away see what's working, straight away see uh, what time of day is good. So if you're a small charity and you don't have resource, trying things out on social media is very good. And if you want to put a little bit of money behind a Facebook advert, then um, again, you can test it out. But 
uh, we're always looking at ways that we can get in, you know, interact with people. And we had uh, this week earlier, our designer come in and share some options for a new sweatshirt that we want to print. This is kind of quite early days in merchandise for us. Um, and he had four options. And I immediately thought, well, let's put that out to our supporters because who doesn't like a bit of a vote and a bit of a debate uh, on social media? So that's gone out this morning. And, and then it's another way of previewing that actually this sweatshirt's coming out. And it's a way of involving people in our journey and them feeling a part of us. And when you're, when you're a charity, when you're two star, you know, people know that they've got to step up and be part of your team. We've actually got an, an amazing volunteer who just pops up and, and does things every now and then. But at the end of an event, I just saw he just got out the hoover and started hoovering. And it just touched my heart so much because he says, I don't even know who to, how to hoover. I've got a cleaner at home. But the <laughs> fact that he was just motivated to just do what needed to be done at the time. And, I, and if you're a small charity, then, you, you know, if you show a bit of vulnerability to your supporters, they will step up and they will want to be part of your team. And that, I think, very much part of it, that being small doesn't, doesn't mean a disadvantage. It just means you have to be more creative um, and bring people on board. Mm. And there's a couple of things, again, I'm noticing, I really have, I, I sense this, this pattern that it's not you in the charity and then all those people out there who might send you some money to help the kids. I really sense that it does feel like an extended family. I, I sense that the way you approach supporters and communicate with them, it's all us together rather, rather than this, this barrier between the, the people who give us money and then we'll go and do the helping. Uh, and, and, that, and, and because of your, your instinct is to involve much more than I think some charities do, that's why people feel that they are part of this rather than just kind of chipping in with some money. Yeah, so at a recent event we had, I talked about a three-legged stool and I, I absolutely believe this um but you know child rescue nepal is a charity the beneficiaries are one leg of the stool and they're you know vital and why we exist um, our staff in nepal are also incredible absolutely incredible people who really literally go the extra mile and then the third leg of the stool is the donors because without them the thing falls over i mean they're not an a, an optional extra they are exactly the third kind of the third third that is needed of the charity and yeah I very much hope that our donors feel part of what's going on and one of the ways that we try and involve them is that when we're actually about to approach a rescue we send out an email saying we're literally about to rescue or a rescue is underway and um, so they rather than kind of two weeks later say oh two weeks ago we rescued um you know these boys and a girl but actually it's happening now you're part of this um, this is why you, you know, this is why we need your support. And as the days go on, if you can get support these children in their rehabilitation, and people are fed back that that's yeah. um, very powerful. Yeah, it it really is. And and um, we may not have much time to unpick this, but the other theme I've I've taken from our recent conversations together, Joe, is authenticity which is a word easily used but i think many charities just are not quite authentic in in the way they you know the vulnerability required and the courage and and to just be real and and say the truth of what's going on and in a tone that is normal and human rather than tied up with some some jargon any last thoughts maybe you couldn't imagine doing it any other way but any any thoughts about how how you've managed to live that yeah so I, I think 
you know, you have to know what it is you love about the charity. What impressed you when you first um, got to know the work of the charity? If you can share what your passion is that just comes naturally, then that communicates the most clearly. You know, share the stories that touch you, that mean something to you, and the rest will flow. Don't put on an event that you yourself would find boring to go to. Don't write social media that you would skip over. Don't follow someone else's. Just be spontaneous and be yourself. And I, you know, I think donors can spot a fake a, a long way away. And you know, to be a fundraiser, you really have to like people. And if you like people, you will like your donors, and you will care about when their dog dies, and you'll, you know, want to kind of journey with them and want to share updates from the charity. But actually, you have really got to like people <laughs> to do the job and be authentic, be yourself. And also share when things are, you know, are challenging, because essentially people, people give to the charity because, well, I think people give to the charity because they believe in what I'm doing and they trust that if they give the money to this charity, it's going to go to the right place. They trust me as a person that I'm going to go to Nepal and I'm going to go and see that the children are okay. I'm going to go and and support the staff and find out what it is they need to do their job. And that in a small charity. We have a massive advantage because we can be a lot more transparent and people want to give money where they trust that it's going to go to the right place. And I think people do trust the money is going to the right place. And that's really, really important. Yeah, it, it clearly is. And I think you're doing a, a really great job to live that and, and make sure that all of your supporters do that trust. I'd love to talk on and on, but I'm aware of just how precious your time is, Joe. Um, so a, a huge thank you. To you, I mean, congratulations for all, all the progress you're, you're making on behalf of those children. Uh, it's really inspiring or re-inspiring for me to, 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 to see what you're doing and, and get some of the, the ideas and tactics and stories. So thank you. Um, if people want to find out more about your work, obviously they can, they can listen to that fantastic Radio 4 appeal by going to the Radio 4 website. Uh, or if they, they want to, to find out more about this amazing organisation, you're helping to run where would they find that child rescue nepal fantastic um it is a wonderful organization doing doing amazing work um so i really encourage people to to check it out and get involved if they can in addition to being inspired by the the business you you uh, the way you approach your your business of running the charity and running the fundraising. Thank you so much, Joe. Best of luck with it. We'll talk to you again another time for a recap on how this is all panning out. Thank you, Rob. Take care. Thank you so much, Joe. Bye-bye. Bye. So I hope you found it helpful to hear about Joe's approach to the Radio 4 appeal and also their approach to working with supporters in general. I've put a summary of the key ideas we covered in the show notes in the podcast section of our website. And if you're curious about any of the in-house fundraising masterclasses or the one-to-one coaching or the corporate and major gifts mastery programs that we offer at Brightspot, you can find all of that information as well at brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you found today's episode helpful, we've got lots more great episodes planned for the rest of the series. So if you want to make sure you get those, do remember to subscribe to the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening today. Until the next time, I wish you the very best of luck with your fundraising. 